So what I want to do is review so that we know what we mean when we say Christians are called to fruitfulness, which if this is your first time here, this is a series that we're going through this summer. We're about halfway through it. Uh, Those of you who were with us last fall in our series through Galatians, you'll remember that the Apostle Paul was just relentless and at times annoying uh, in reminding the Galatian church that there was no other gospel. That's what Paul said. There is no other gospel than the one that comes by faith through grace in Jesus Christ alone. And that it was for freedom that Christ has set them free. So when we say for freedom, Christ has set us free. The question that is free from what? Well, freedom from being enslaved to works of the flesh. If you turn to Galatians 5, I'm going to pick up in verse 16. And this is what Paul meant by that. He said, but I say walk by the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do, right? Because, because Jesus is living inside of you, the things that you want to do are different than the things you used to want to do, right? And so in verse 18, Paul goes on and he says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And then he says, now the works of the flesh, they're evident, And he lays it out and he's not real shy about this. And he says, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And he says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the good news then is that the Holy Spirit redeems our passions and desires that used to formerly be for these things. And the evidence that those passions have been redeemed are seen through the outworking of fruit that actually resembles the character of Jesus. And that's what he says in verse 22. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So as we crucify the flesh, as we keep in step with those things that God has now redeemed, those new wants, those new passions, those new new desires, the things now that are going to flow out from that work being done in us are these fruits. Love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. And today, of course, we're going to be talking about patience. Now, if I took a poll, how many of you would say that you would like to be more patient? All right. That's not bad. I thought we were going to get like four hands, right? Well, all of you who weren't liars, okay, and raised your hand (laughs) because you know that in patience, man, you, you know that's not a good look on anybody, Right? Nobody sits here and would say to me, you know, man, I just kind of, I'm at my best when I'm impatient. I kind of like the way impatience looks. I feel good about myself when I just totally lose my cool, right? It's just not a good look on anyone, man. It does not capture any of the feels, as we would say in our day and age, right? It's something we know we should have more of, and it's something we should be more like. And what's interesting and what's slightly terrifying about patience is that God has placed Every one of us right now, as we speak, in a breeding ground for patience, which is really just this thing that we like to call life, right? Life is a breeding ground for patience because it's not like when you pray for patience, you really need to wait patiently to be tested for patience, right? 
I mean, seriously, pray for patience, then go ahead and like wake your kid up, right? Pray for patience and attend a staff meeting at work or church if you really want to be a glutton for punishment, right? Have a long conversation with your spouse. Send your pastor an email, right? Order a drink at Starbucks. Call Verizon, right? I mean, a few nights ago, me and Melissa were driving back from Indianapolis. Man, it's been like the longest day of our life. It's like 10 o'clock at night. We're five miles from the off-ramp to Ashland. And there it is, man, from three lanes down to one lane. Yeah, I know. I love all the O's, right? All the Ugs. You guys can all relate to that. It's insane. I tend to get a little dramatic in situations like this. Man, I start singing when Satan tempts me to despair. And I'm literally, I'm... I mean, Alyssa's looking over at me, just afraid, right? She's like, keep your eye on the road, big boy, because I know that you're sinking right now. I know you're tired, right? But even just little things like that, right? That's the low-hanging fruit of patience, right? That's the low-hanging fruit. Then there's waiting, right? Because here's the thing, right? You can probably muster up some short-term patience by yourself here and there, right? You can do that. We all can do that. We all can grow in those low-hanging areas of, of life that we need more patience in. But what about year after year waiting? What about when you're working a job you desperately need but are totally undervalued, totally disregarded in? What about a relationship with a parent or with a sibling or with a child that is just deeply broken and it shows absolutely no signs of healing? What about a physical issue that ibuprofen doesn't fix and you have to wait and you don't know what the outcome is going to be? What do we do when there's nothing we can do but wait? When we feel like King David the psalmist, when he cries out, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever, he says? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? David says. He says, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? The Bible is not unsympathetic to our waiting and our wondering. In reality, waiting is God's way of redeeming things in us. Waiting is God's way of redeeming hope in us. John MacArthur describes patience and waiting like this. He says, it's the ability to endure injuries inflicted by others and the willingness to accept irritating or painful situations. Tim Keller says it like this. He says, it's an ability to face trouble without blowing up or hitting out. And so what we're going to find as we dive into God's word is that the goal for us as believers isn't to become more patient. The goal is to become more like Christ so that patience becomes our natural posture through all of life and everything that we might be facing. Let's turn to Psalm 130. Because I want to read about what this particular psalmist wrote about the angst of waiting on God. I can't see him but I believe he walks with me. This is what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 130. He says, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Listen to what he says. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? 
but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And then he says this, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than watchman for morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquity. So waiting on God, as we see here from the psalmist, is not idle. It can be filled with angst. And it's never meant to be unaccompanied by God's word, right? It's never meant to be unaccompanied by God's word. So when we pray for and practice patience, here's what we need to remember. We need to remember that God is patient. Does that thought ever occur to us? Remembering that God is patient? Psalm 86 tells us this, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is what the nation of Israel had to be reminded of like every 13 seconds. And it's really no different from us, for us. Just this acknowledgement and this remembrance that God is patient because right now, listen, all of you are sitting here with eyes that are open, beholding colors and shapes with your eyes. All of you right now are thinking and processing with your minds. All of you have been singing melodies with your voices. All of you have been experiencing varying bursts of emotions in your heart. All of you have been breathing this clean Ohio air into your lungs. Because why? Because God is patient. Because God is patient and he exercised that patience with us not long after he created us. Genesis 2. Remember all the way back in the garden, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, this is Adam, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Here's the issue. Here's the problem. Here's why we go all the way back to the beginning to find out and to realize that God is so patient. Because Adam and Eve did eat the fruit. They did the very thing God forbid them to do, but they didn't die on the day they ate it. Do you hear what I just said? He said, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God waited. God was patient. He could have annihilated Adam and Eve right on the spot. But what did he do instead? He showed him mercy. He didn't give them what they deserved. Yeah, I mean, there were consequences, right? Maybe you've heard of this thing called death, right? But he instead granted them some things. He granted them a long life. He blessed them. He gave them children. He provided them land to live on and live off of. He gave them sunshine and rain and seasons. He sustained them in his patience as they were slowly dying. Think about the ways that God has been patient with you because it's the same. It's the same character of God. It's the same unchanging patience he had from the beginning when sin birthed through Adam and Eve. So remembering God is patient, man, it just guards us against some things. As we are people who would like to be more patient, as we are people who would love to be able to wait with steadiness and steadfastness. Remembering God is patient, it guards us against despair, doesn't it? 
despair, when you feel like your sin is controlling you and you can't make up any ground. Well, you can remember that God is patient with you in those moments because sin doesn't have the last word. So remembering God is patient to guard you against despair. You know what else it guards you against? It guards you against intolerance. What does that mean? Well, it means that we can be patient with others who sin against us, who disagree with us, who have personalities that grate against us. Why? Because God is patient with you and me of all people, right? And this brings us back to the greatest act of God's patience towards us, which we find in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 15 through 16. If you want to make a, a sharp right and go all the way to 1 Timothy. So what we want to do is we want to get to the pinnacle of God's patience with us in 1 Timothy 1. While you're getting there, I'm going to start reading in verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. So here's the big picture. Jesus is merciful to us so that his perfect patience might be seen in us by others who will eventually believe in him. Do you realize that if you are somebody who has been saved by God's grace, you're a walking testimony to the patience of God? Well, let me lay out some of those scenarios on how you're walking testimony to the patience of God. You're walking testimony to his patience when you catch yourself thinking too highly of yourself. He's being patient with you in all of that as he sanctifies you, as he brings you off of your high horse. You're a testimony to his patience when you catch yourself looking down on others. When you catch yourself withholding mercy and forgiveness from others. And you know what, man, that should just sober us when we think about the ramifications of that. If you rightly see yourself like Paul did, as the chief of all sinners, you'll also see yourself as the greatest receiver of God's patience, of God's mercy, of God's forgiveness that ever walked the face of the earth. That's what Paul was trying to say. Nobody needs it more than me because no one deserves it less. You should see yourself like that if you don't. Remember that God is patient, but... Don't mistake God's patience for slowness. Turn with me to 2 Peter. We're going all over the place today. 2 Peter, chapter 3. You just want to keep going right. I'm going to pick up in verse 8. We don't want to mistake God's patience for slowness. Because we like a patient God when it comes to our sin but not when it comes to his promises. So you know what happens? We start to put God in our debt. We start saying things like, where are you, God? Why haven't you delivered the goods? How dare you make me wait for anything? How dare you grow me in patience for anything that I want and actually I demand because in actuality, I feel I deserve. But look what Peter says. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved. See, he's not even mad. He's calling you beloved. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Then he says this. He says, the Lord is not slow. 
to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. By the way, when he says some, he means us. But is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What Peter is saying is that God doesn't have your eye watch on his wrist. Are they called eye watches? Your Apple watch. You get my point. He doesn't. Man, he is just not following our timetable. He's not locked into the calendars on our iPhones going, okay, well, then I'll wait till next week to do that because I saw that you had that one appointment there and I don't want to screw you up with that. That's just not the economy of God. God doesn't think the way that we think. Jerry Bridges makes this comment. He says, the cure for impatience with the fulfillment of God's timetable is to believe his promises, obey his will, and leave the results to him. And he goes on to say this, so often when God's timetable stretches into years, we become discouraged and want to give up or try to work something out on our own. That reminds us of Abraham when he was promised this son and years and years go by, dude's like 100 years old and there ain't no kid. And by the way, like his wife's like 90. Like it's just not working out. Like we're past that point and God said, here's the thing, what I promise I deliver on, Abraham takes the matter into his own hands and has a child by another woman. And so he decided to make a choice because he was thinking that God's slowness was his unfaithfulness. And we can make that same mistake. Here's what we have to understand is that whatever God makes us wait for is good. Why? Because he is good doesn't matter if we don't understand that or comprehend that. It matters because it's true. Whatever God makes us wait for is good because he is good. So, therefore, this is my therefore, anything he withholds from you comes from hands that are withholding whatever contributes to your best good. But how, how can you say that, Ronnie? How is it better for me to not be cured? of this sickness or this disease right now? Well, it's a valid question. How is it better that I should struggle financially right now waiting for a job that won't seem to come? It's a good question. How is it better for me to wait? How? How is it better? James provides us with an example, actually an analogy of a farmer to help us better understand what it means to be what we would call steadfast, which, by the way, is what's being produced in you when God has you waiting. This is what James says in James 5. Why don't you turn there? Let's go left to the book of James, chapter 5. Verse 7, this is what James tells us. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Then he gives us this analogy. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also, he says, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He said, don't grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. In other words, don't worry about all of these things that you can't explain, that you think are pushing against you negatively. What James is trying to say is that God has it. As an example of suffering and patient, brothers, he says, 
Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. He, then he says, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate, how the Lord is merciful. Imagine planting a garden one day, then coming back the next day and digging up all the seeds like, like an insane person because you didn't see anything sprouting up through the soil like the next morning. Like somebody come up to you and go like, you don't understand gardening very well, do you? Right? Or imagine buying your kid a bike for their birthday and then just taking it away, right? Like a mean guy. Because the first time they tried to ride it, they couldn't balance it yet. Right? Impatience. Our inability to wait, it prevents us from seeing possibilities that are only revealed through waiting. Listen, fast things don't prove God is faithful any more than slow things don't mean that God is slothful. Sinclair Ferguson, he's a, a pastor, teacher, author, theologian. He said this, appearances can be deceptive. The fact that we cannot see what God is doing does not mean that he is doing nothing. The Lord has his own timetable. It is we who must learn to adjust to it, not vice versa. Then he goes on to say, when God's time comes, nothing will stand in his way. We can therefore wait for him with this happy confidence. As for God, his way is perfect. It's a verse from 2 Samuel. So we don't want to mistake God's patience with what we think of as slowness, because ultimately the good news in all of this is that God's patience reveals his forgiveness. God's patience reveals his forgiveness. Let's make another left. Let's go to Colossians 3. This is like a Bible drill for you guys this morning. Colossians 3.12. We want to remember God is patient. We want to not mistake God's patience for slowness because God's patience reveals his forgiveness. Colossians 3.12 says this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So God's patience reveals his forgiveness so that we can become forgiving people. So how do we do that? What are some of the ways we practice being patient and forgiving people? Jerry Bridges, he provides us with three ways. He says, first off, he says, we practice this by being long-suffering. Long-suffering, what does that mean? Well, here's what he says. He says, it's the ability to suffer a long time under the mistreatment of others without growing resentful or bitter. Piece of cake, Jerry. The ability to suffer a long time under the mistreatment of others without growing resentful or bitter. How do we do that? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, if we are afflicted, it is for our comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for our comfort, which we experience when we patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So long-suffering, the ability to do it, is something that is actually ordained by God to become more like Christ. There's a comfort in knowing it's not for nothing. There's a comfort in knowing that none of it just passes under the eyesight of God. 
where you find yourself in a season of suffering or waiting where you need to be long-suffering and it's not working out great for you. It's not like God didn't see that coming. It's not like it escaped the gaze of God. Secondly, the ways we practice being patient and forgiving people is by being self-controlled when provoked. This is how Jerry Bridges describes that. He says those actions of others that tend to arouse our anger or wrath, that cause us to lose our temper, he says. So how do we practice being patient and forgiving? By being self-controlled when provoked. If we weren't provoked, what would we need to practice to self-control, right? And then three, he says, by tolerating shortcomings. He describes this as the unconscious, the unconscious action of someone that affects us, irritates, or disappoints us. Thankfully, that only happens to me like 18 times a day. First Thessalonians 5.14 says, And we urge you, brothers, Paul says, Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So this answer here that Paul gives when we are faced with people that just irritate the heck out of us, right? They disappoint us time and time again as he says, hey, reverse it. Admonish them. Encourage them. Help them in their weaknesses. Be patient with them all. So if you're somebody that's, man, just being bombarded with these things, the answer is we can retreat. We can get angry. We can become irritated. We can push back. We can go back to the passions and desires of our flesh at their most unsanctified and their most unsaved. Or we can respond the way Paul is calling us to respond here, which is to be on the offense, to admonish our brothers, encourage them, understand that they may be suffering through something that we can help them through. So why do we forgive? Why should we forgive? Because. Don't you just wish you could say that to your kids as an answer for everything? Why do I need to do this? The answer is because I got to go, right? Because that's the answer. I'm going to flesh that out a little bit. Because is our motivation though. What's the because? Because God. Why do we forgive? Because God, because without God's patience and forgiveness, we would be hopelessly lost. Remember when you go to Ephesians 2 and it talks about just the sin and the wrath that God has on us because of our sin? And then it has this amazing phrase that says, but God in his mercy. So Ephesians 2 gives us the but God that motivates us to because God. So after God has saved us in his mercy and forgiveness, we now have the because. And it's not just because, because of all the wonderful things he does. My wife is shaking her head and I can't look at her right now. <laughs> but it's because of that sacrifice. It's because of that price. It's because of that debt that was removed. It's a rather large because. In fact, it's a because with so much depth that we will never explore the endlessness of it. But then what happens when we withhold patience and forgiveness? Well, we're kind of like the man in the parable of the unforgiving servant from Matthew 18. Remember that parable? The man who owed a great debt, billions upon billions of dollars, and he was forgiven the debt. And then he turns around and somebody that owed him about 100 bucks, he ends up grabbing him and throwing him into jail before he could pay the debt. 
When we don't forgive others, when we withhold patience and forgiveness, it's like we're blind. It's like we are not remembering that God has been so patient with us. It's like we're walking around with blinders on. We're not recounting the ways that God has just continues to be so merciful and forgiving towards us. Well, then, with that said, what does being a patient and forgiving person say about God? Well, it says that his mercy and grace is developing humility in us. Because in all of this patience and waiting, there's something happening in us as we are believing, as we are trusting God, as we are becoming more immovable and steadfast and steady with all of the things that are breaking down on us and crashing down on us. We are developing a humility. What's a humility? A humility is an acknowledgement that God is in control and that he's not forgotten us and that he is the one that is actually moving behind the scenes, in the scenes, above the scenes, in front of the scenes. That's the God that goes before us. John Newton said this, whoever is truly humbled will not be easily angry nor harsh or critical of others. He will be compassionate and tender to the infirmities of his fellow sinners, knowing that if there is a difference, it is grace alone which has made it. He knows that he has the seeds of every evil in his own heart. So when you are patient with me, and you know what, man? You guys have been patient with me. You guys have been patient with me as a pastor, as a preacher. I've said some straight up crazy things up here, right? You guys have been patient with me. You've allowed me to grow as a pastor, to grow as a preacher. You've been patient with me. I've received that. It's been a joy. But what I'm experiencing in that moment is the mercy and grace of Jesus in the most tangible way from you when you are patient with me. So this is how I want to end our time. I want to talk about this idea about waiting. When waiting tempts you, tempts me to despair. What do we do when waiting tempts us to despair because it's one thing, again, to have this sort of patience that we can muster up, we can slow our roll, we can not blow our cool, right? We can pause, we can wait. But what about waiting in the ways that we've talked about it so far this morning? What do we do when waiting tempts us to despair? The first thing is to imagine all that you can't imagine. Imagine what you can't Imagine giving that God is all that God is. It's kind of like a child on a birthday, right? When a child waits and he wakes up to the joy of everything that you've prepared for him, he would like to have that birthday the day before. He wishes the birthday could have been a week before. He would have even liked it better if that birthday could have had a month before. But it wasn't right, it wasn't the day, it wasn't everything that you had prepared for him, it wasn't ready. And you know what, they just can't comprehend that. But you can comprehend that, why? Because you're the one behind the scenes preparing everything. And if your child could just imagine what they can't imagine, it would allow them to wait and to sleep and to go to school and to be obedient with steadfastness and with joy. So when waiting tempts us to despair, we need to imagine all that we can't imagine. Secondly, we need to humble ourselves under God's 
timetable. How badly would you love your kids to understand your timing with things? It's kind of like what we just talked about, right? There's a reason why you don't give them dessert before dinner because that would be the beginning of all the bad choices that they're going to make in life, right? If they could only understand your timetable, if we could only understand God's timetable being different than our timetable, right? If we could only remember that he does things very differently at different times in different ways than we could possibly ever know about. There's a reason why we're down here and he's God and he's infinite and he's sovereign and he's omniscient and he's omnipotent and we're not. It's because he looks at that clock back there and he goes, that's cute. But it's not how I operate and I need you to trust me for knowing what you can't possibly know. And by the way, to take comfort in that. There's a comfort in knowing what you don't know. Thirdly, when waiting tempts us to despair, to, don't, to not dwell on others. Psalm 37 says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. It's so easy to say, yeah, but it worked for him. Well, she got what she wanted. When she went to the doctor, everything checked out. She wasn't made to suffer. He hasn't been made to wait the way I'm made to wait. What about them? I'm serving the Lord. They don't serve the Lord. Why does it seem like everything works out for them? Again, we should probably define what working out for them means. Because God doesn't want you to have a perspective that begins and ends with birth and death in this world. And there's only one way to do that. And it's to draw you to a place that causes you to focus on what's happening after this world and with who you will exist with after this world who exists with you today in this world. Does that make sense? Don't dwell on others. God is doing something unique in your life because he loves you and he wants to get your eyes off of the things that cause you to despair. Fourth, pray for courage. When you're tempted to despair, do you ever pray for courage? Psalm 31, 24, be strong. Let your heart take courage. All you who wait for the Lord. So all you who wait for the Lord, he says, be strong and let your heart take courage. So in your waiting, be strong. I don't have any strength, Ronnie. Right. Let your heart take courage. I'm courageless. Right. And so we go before the Lord and we say, Lord, you see me at my weakest. Can you give me what I need and what I don't have? And he does. And then finally, we find our comfort in Jesus when waiting tempts us to despair. First Peter 2 reminds us about Jesus who knew something about waiting. And it says he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When, his revi when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. That's an ultimate healing. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul, the patient shepherd and overseer of your soul. This is how trust is developed in you and in me. That year after year patience we talked about, 
It's developed through deep and abiding trust. I can wait. I can wait because I know who is working in my waiting. Because in my waiting, I learn to die to sin, to live to righteousness and return to the shepherd of my soul. So as we pray for patience, I'm going to have you bow your heads. We remember Romans 12, 2, where Paul speaks to us, speaks to the church. He says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. God, sometimes we just don't understand why you make us wait and we get so frustrated at our lack of patience. And it's one of those fruits that when it is lacking, we're so quickly reminded of how ugly it is. And so God, we today pray for patience. We pray that we wouldn't merely just go after patience, but we would go after Christ. Lord, we would remember how patient you've been with us, that we remember that your patience doesn't mean you're being slow because you understand those things differently than we do and more rightly than we do. And so God, we pray today that if we find ourselves in a particular moment or time or trial when it just feels like we don't know what's going to happen and we can't see any light at the end of the tunnel, we don't see how it is that you're going to work and we don't see how it is that you're going to get us out of this mess. You're going to repair that relationship where this pain doesn't feel like it's ever going away. Lord, I pray that you would draw our hearts and our minds back to Christ. We'd remember the forgiveness that we have in him. God, that you would produce long suffering and self-control in us, that you would produce steadfastness in us, that you would anchor us back to your word, that in these moments, in these seasons that seem just interminably long, Lord, that those would be the moments that we begin to seek your face again, that we begin to experience, Lord, the joy that comes from knowing that you know all things and that you have all things in your hand and that there's no better place to be in regardless of what we're going through than to trust and abide in you. So Lord, we need you to be our father today because you are our father. We need you to remind us of the comfort that we have in Christ as we wait for you with longing, as you develop patience and long suffering and steadfastness in us, that we walk out of here more reflecting the character of Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.